For far too long, the church has been known for what we are against. Maybe it's our fault. Maybe our love has faltered. Maybe we've lost touch, lost time, lost the idea of where love comes from and who first loved us. But today is a new day, and we have the opportunity to be known for what we are for, not against. For is a powerful word. For indicates intention, purpose, and sacrifice. For erases the line in the sand. For takes the hand of outcasts. For does for one because everyone matters. For is the reason Jesus came, the reason he died, and the reason he rose again. For doesn't have to, need to, or must love. For chooses to love because we have been loved by the one who is love. God is for, so we are for. We are for Callaway. We are for you. Well, today is one of my favorite Sundays of the year uh, because, again this year, we're going to get a chance to unleash another wave of no-strings-attached generosity into our community. And quite honestly, it is one of the, and maybe it is the most powerful way in our culture today, in our communities today, with everything that's going on, maybe it's the most powerful way we can send a statement that we are for you and that God is for you to let our community know that we are on their side. And so it's going to be a lot of fun today, and we'll get to that in just a minute. Um, This is always um, a big deal. But if you are new around here, you couldn't have picked a better day to come. I'm so glad you're here on this day. If you are a person who's, you're not a Jesus follower, you're skeptical of church, you know, you think churches and Christians are just looking for themselves, all they care about themselves. Like, I get that. I really do. I'm so glad you're here today. Like, if I'd had the experiences you had had, I would have come to the exact same conclusion. But the reason I'm so thrilled you're here today is because you're going to walk out of here today with a little bit of hope. I'm confident of that. You're going to walk out of here because, with some hope because you are sitting around some people who are about to demonstrate in a very, very tangible way that they are for this community and that we love the community no matter whether they ever set foot into our doors or not. Uh, so we're going to jump into that in just a minute. This is our six-year to do this for Calway offering. That's hard to believe. In the past five years, we, you have given back to this community Almost $200,000. When we were looking at that, I was like, my goodness, I didn't realize it was that much. And we give a lot more throughout the year, but just through this offering over the last five years, you've given away almost $200,000 just at one time, right around Christmas. And what we do if you're new here is we, take, we receive this offering every year, and then we give it away every single dime. We don't keep any of it, and I'll tell you more details in a minute. But we give every single, di- single dime away to nonprofits, organizations in our community, who are doing some great work, a few nonprofit organizations uh, that do work nationally and internationally uh, to make a difference in the lives of others. And we don't care if they're Christian or not Christian. We just want to, if they're doing a great job, they're being great stewards of the money, we just want to help them go further faster. And so a lot of you volunteer in these organizations. We're so grateful for that. We give our time as well. We support and try to come alongside these organizations all year long. But this is just a fun time when we can do it all together and do it all at once and do it really, really loudly to let our community know that we are for them. So we'll do that in just a few minutes. But before we do, I want to address the question that I get asked from time to time. It's a valid question. Maybe if you're, not new, if you're new around here, if you haven't been a part of this before, maybe you've wondered this. Why in the world would we do this? Like, why demonstrate no-strings-attached generosity? 
Because let's be honest, that's not natural, is it? It's not natural. All of us, we tend to be getters more than givers. That's what's natural. History is full of a lot more takers than givers. I mean, that's just what's natural. So why would we as a church make it such a big deal and such a cornerstone part of who we are to demonstrate no strings attached generosity year after year after year to the people around us? Well, there is a reason for that, and the reason is because of something Jesus taught. And I want to take just a few minutes to address that or to revisit that today. Jesus is known for his stories. Jesus is known for some really famous stories, but the one we're going to look at today is maybe the most famous of all. And whether you're a Christian, not a Christian, no matter where you fall in that spectrum, my guess is you are at least somewhat familiar with this story. But what you don't realize probably, and a lot of us don't connect these dots, but what makes this so powerful? Jesus was a master storyteller, and Jesus was extraordinary at asking questions that led us to profound truth. And this is one of those examples where he told a story, and then he asked a question at the end, we'll get to it in a minute, that just completely changed the direction of human history. And I'm not overstating that. Like up to this point in the first century, humans just did not think this way. But Jesus taught us something through this story and this question that changed not just what humans valued, but what's so remarkable to me is he changed who humans value. And now you may not be a Jesus follower, you may not you know, even believe Jesus existed, but I guarantee you, you think about other human beings differently and you think about generosity differently and you think about meeting needs differently because of this story and because of what Jesus taught. And it's just become part of our American culture and the way we view things and our perspective on the world. But I'm, I'm telling you, it was brand new. It was brand new. It changed everything 2,000 years ago. So before we get to that story and that question, I want to start with the story behind the story, the question that led to this question that is so powerful. Here's what sparked all of this that eventually we'll get to the story, the story that's so familiar to us. But here's what happened behind the scenes that sparked it all. Luke writes and tells us this. On one occasion, an expert in the law, and he's talking about an expert in the Jewish law, that, you know, they're in Israel, and so this was somebody who had made a living or, you know, devoted themselves to, I'm going to be able to interpret the civil Jewish laws so the nation knows how to follow them, but I'm going to be able to interpret the religious Jewish laws so the nation knows how to follow them. He says, on one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. There's a large group of people all sitting. They're listening to him teach. This man stands up and says, teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, that's a great question, but Jesus knew, because he, he, he kind of knew what was going on behind the scenes. This wasn't his first time. Jesus knew this wasn't a sincere question. There were a group of these religious leaders who, from time to time, would travel around, and they would, they would interrupt Jesus' teaching, and they would try to get him to say something that would discredit him in front of all of the people who were following and all the people who were starting to believe him. And so he kind of knows, okay, this is what's going on here. This guy is part of that group. And so Jesus does what he was so brilliant at doing. If we could learn how to do this, it'd get us all out of a lot of hot water. He doesn't answer the question with an answer. He answers the question with another question. He looks back at the man and says, what is written in the law? How do you read it? In other words, you're the expert on the law, so you tell me. You tell me, what do you have to do to inherit eternal life? That's just brilliant. And so the man, 
this religious leader, looks back at Jesus, and here's how he replies. This may sound familiar. He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind. Let me just pause right there. This part of his answer, this is what every Jew in the crowd would have expected him to say. This is what they were expecting Jesus to say. Like this was the common understanding among Jewish people. They'd been taught this their entire lives. They'd been taught this for centuries, that if you're going to have a relationship with God, if you're going to have eternal life, if you're going to spend eternity with God, then here's what you do. You love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. So nobody was surprised when, the, when this religious expert says this. They're like, oh, yeah, we all know that. I mean, it, it didn't catch anybody's attention. But then the man, and I think, and I'll tell you where this comes from in a second, but I think with a little bit of a smile on his face, he's a little bit of smugness, he's kind of proud of himself, he adds a part nobody expected to hear. He says, and love your neighbor as yourself. Now, the reason he added that on is because he had heard Jesus mention this before. One of his buddies who tried to trap Jesus at another point had asked Jesus, hey, what's the most important commandment in the law? And Jesus didn't stop with just one. Jesus said, hey, you should love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And Jesus said, the second's like it. There are actually two, and two commandments, not one that are most important to God, and they're actually the same. They're just expressed differently. And Jesus had said in that occasion, the second one is you should love your neighbor as yourself. So this religious expert had probably been there. He's part of the group trying to trap Jesus anyway. And so he knows. He knows. It's like Jesus is falling right into his trap. When Jesus asked him, okay, will you tell me what you should do? He says, well, I'm going to give you the answer that you gave my buddy a few weeks ago. You ought to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and you need to love your neighbor as yourself. Now, just real quickly, and we don't have a lot of time to talk about this today. We've talked about it before. But this answer that Jesus gave, and this answer that this religious expert, you know, gives back to him, to love God and to love your neighbor as yourself, this really was revolutionary. And it was revolutionary because when Jesus taught this, what he did is he moved the focus from the vertical, is everything good between me and God, to the horizontal, is everything good between me and the people around me? Is everything good between me and my neighbor? And the reason that is so extraordinary is because as long as the focus is vertical, is everything good between me and God? Like, okay, you know, did I show up at church and, okay, am I praying or did I, you know, as long as it's this, do I love God with all my heart? If that's all there is, the problem with that is that's invisible, isn't it? Like, there's no way for me to measure how much you love God in your heart. There's no way for me to know that. That's all invisible. And so it was really easy, and the religious experts would do this. It was really easy to say, yeah, we love God with all our heart. We love God with all our heart. Everything's good between me and God. Like, I can treat you any way I want to treat you, but it doesn't matter because I'm just telling you, I love God with all my heart. It was really easy to dismiss people and to mistreat people, but say things were good right here. And so when Jesus shows up and teaches this, he just blows that out of the water. He says, no, 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 it's not just about this anymore with God. It's about this now. Like, it's not invisible anymore. It's very easy to tell how much you love God. You just look and see how you're loving your neighbor. That's very visible. Because it's impossible, from God's point of view, for you to love him but not love his children. It's impossible for you to love him but not love the people that he cares about. And so every time you love your neighbor as yourself, you're loving God. And if you're loving God, you're loving your neighbor as yourself. So he connects these two ideas, and suddenly it's very visible, which means there's a lot more accountability, which means people are a lot more uncomfortable with this idea. But this is what Jesus taught. And Jesus didn't just come up with this out of thin air. Jesus, when he talks about loving your neighbors yourself, he's actually quoting from the Jewish scriptures from a passage in Leviticus. He's quoting a part of a statement that was in these Jewish scriptures in this Jewish law. Here's the statement out of Leviticus, just so you know where it comes from. 
In Leviticus 19.18, it's written, Do not seek revenge or bear grudge against anyone among, notice this, your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. Now, for centuries, the Jewish people had believed this, and they had practiced this. But if you caught it, here's what they believed, and this makes perfect sense to them. They believed, well, our job is to love our people. Our job is not to bear grudge or seek revenge against our people. Our job is to love our neighbor. And if you'd ask a Jewish person in the first century, who is your neighbor, they would have said, my neighbor is my people. That's who it is. My neighbor is my Jewish people. Like, we don't have to worry. God doesn't care how we treat anybody outside of our little circle and our little bubble. Because it's all about our people. It's all about my brothers and my sisters who are Jewish. So we're, we're going to take care of one another. And we're going to love each other. But we're not worried about the stranger who may be outside of that circle. Now, that is not what Jesus taught. Jesus didn't quote this entire verse, did he? He just quoted this last part. But I'm just telling you, when these Jewish people heard this said, they automatically assumed what Jesus says, the best way we can love God is by loving our own Jewish people, by loving the people who are like us, who believe like us, who look like us and think like us. So this religious expert, he thinks he's, you know, kind of setting Jesus in a really deep trap because he knows Jesus, he's got this, you know, he's hurt him enough. He knows Jesus is teaching that we should extend that circle, that we should love more than just our Jewish people. And that doesn't make any sense. And the minute that he says, in order to have a, you know, to love God, we have to love people outside of our little Jewish circle. This crowd's not going to want anything to do with that. And so he's trying to set this trap. But as he responds, you know, to Jesus, well, here's how you have eternal life. Love God and love your neighbor as yourself. Here's what Jesus does in reply. He says, you have answered correctly. He doesn't even, he doesn't even address the issue of widening the circle. He just says, you've answered correctly. Do this and you will live. And then I think, and it doesn't say this, but I think at that point Jesus turned his attention, maybe went back to get ready to start teaching the crowd again, and he thought, I'm not going to step into this trap. I'm going to see what this religious expert does. And if the religious expert had just stopped right there, he would have lost, but at least he wouldn't have lost badly. If he had just stopped right there, it would have been like, okay, we missed him again. Like, I thought I had the trap set. He didn't take the bait. Let's just move on and come up with another plan. But nope, 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 nope. This guy at this point, at this point, he's got a little bit of egg on his face in front of everybody. They all know what he's trying to do. So at this point, he's thinking, no, I gotta, I gotta make myself look better. No, I got, I've got, I'm not gonna let him off the hook that easy. No, 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 Jesus, you're not gonna walk away that simply. And so Luke tells us this is what happened next. But he, the religious expert, wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who? is my neighbor. Who is my neighbor? Because listen, Jesus, I want to get you to answer this really clearly. So who's my neighbor? Because I'm a Jewish religious expert, and I'm sitting around a lot of Jewish people, and I'm telling you the reality is we don't want to do, have to do any more neighbor loving than is the minimum required for everything to be good between us and God. And I think the minimum required is that we just have to love all of our fellow Jewish people. And so, Jesus, you go ahead. You go ahead and tell us who's my neighbor. And if you dare say the circle is widened, if you dare say we have to love non-Jewish people, you're going to lose credit and you're going to lose respect of everybody here. We're just focused on doing the minimum neighbor loving possible to make sure everything is good between us and God. And this is the point where Jesus introduces this story. 
that all of us have heard of. It's still a part of our culture 2,000 years later. People don't even know Jesus told the story, but they know about the story. This is incredible. But what he did with this story is he forever changed, not just what we value, he changed who we value. So here's how Jesus responds. When he's asking, who is my neighbor? Jesus says in reply, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. Now, we miss all the context of this, but I'm telling you, this is what Jesus always did to these guys. They would try to trap him, and he would go off on some wild tangent story. And I have no doubt that this man standing there just rolled his eyes and groaned and was like, oh, no, here we go again. He tells a story. None of us have a clue what the story means until we get to the end, and then somehow it makes us look bad. So he knew he was in trouble at this point. Like, this is not how he wanted this to play out. He's standing. Jesus is standing. Everybody around is sitting. And now he can't escape wherever this story is going, and he's lost all control of the moment. So Jesus says, let me just tell you a story, and it's a made-up story, but it's a very believable story. Jerusalem to Jericho was about a 17 or 18-mile journey. Everybody sitting there listening would have probably made this journey. They're certainly familiar with it. They knew it was a dangerous trip. So he says, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers, and then things got worse. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. So again, Jesus sets the stage here. And this is very believable. This happened all the time. And for someone to take your clothes, by the way, that's what they always did back in the first century because clothes were so valuable. So if you were going to be attacked or if you were going to be killed, they weren't walking away until they took whatever clothes you had on your body. And so Jesus sets the picture here. And then he starts getting to the heart of the question that this religious expert had asked. Here's what he says happens next. A priest... So a Jewish religious leader, a priest, happened to be going down the same road. And when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. You're familiar with this story probably, aren't you? He goes on. He says, so too a Levite, another religious leader, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. Now just think about this. Jesus says there were two religious leaders who clearly knew the Jewish law, who clearly knew the Jewish law that we are to love our Jewish neighbors as ourselves, And yet neither of these religious leaders actually followed or obeyed their own Jewish laws. They violated a very clear understanding, a very clear law that all Jewish people have, that you should take care of your people. But they didn't take care of their people. And the reason why, the assumption is, and they would have gotten this in that day, the assumption is they didn't take care of this man, even though he was Jewish, because they all believed something in that culture. They believed if something bad like this happened to you, you had it coming. If something tragic like this happened to you, it was because of something you had previously done, and now you were just reaping the consequences of your actions. And so Jesus says, these two religious leaders see the man, and even though their law says they should help him, they walk to the other side of the road and just pass right on by because they're convinced that man deserves what he's getting, so I'm not getting my hands dirty helping him. And this is a point in the story then where he's got everyone right where he wants them. And Jesus, with three words, twists the story entirely. The next three words, we can't possibly understand in our culture just what these next three words meant, the impact they had on all these Jewish listeners sitting around him in the first century. After telling them two of their own religious leaders would do nothing, he says this, but a Samaritan... To which I'm telling you, everybody sitting around Jesus groaned at this point. 
They rolled their eyes. They were like, you've got to be kidding me. You're not going to make a Samaritan the hero of the story. You can't do that. Because Jews and Samaritans in the first century, they loathed one another. I mean, it was worse than just, hey, we don't really like you people. No, Jews would actually intentionally go out of their way to go around the land where the Samaritans lived if they were traveling. It's quicker to go straight through. They weren't going straight through because they would have no contact with a Samaritan. They didn't even want to set their foot on Samaritan soil. This was, in the first century, institutionalized racism. This was like a version of first century apartheid. The Jewish people completely devalued Samaritan people. They thought they were inferior human beings. Matter of fact, it is not a stretch to assume that as Jesus began to tell this story about the man who was beaten and left half dead, everybody in his Jewish audience probably assumed it was a Samaritan who had committed the crime. This is just how they thought. Now, unfortunately, that's not so far from what we still run into today, is it? Unfortunately, we still have these stereotypes. We still deal with this kind of institutionalized racism. We, you know, we watch it on the news all the time. Unfortunately, we see it in our communities from time to time. Let's be honest, every now and then, as ugly as it is, we see it in our own hearts. Where something happens, come on, this has happened to all of us. We've all been guilty of it. Something happens, there's a crime committed, and we assume that a certain race committed that crime. Or something happens, and there's an issue in the community, and we assume, and we assume, and we assume. This, this still goes on today. And it was so deep-rooted and deep-seated in the hearts of these Jewish people, I'm telling you. They would have just grown. They would have, they would have you know, been like, you've got to be kidding me. Nobody's going to believe Jesus that a Samaritan is a hero of the story. You can't make him the hero of the story. But Jesus does. He says, but a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. And when he saw him... He took pity on him. In other words, Jesus says, this Samaritan man felt a compassion for his wounded Jewish brother that that Jewish man would have never felt for a Samaritan. He goes on. He went to him, Jesus says, and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And the crowd's going, you got to be kidding me. You're telling me, you're telling me that a Samaritan man went and he touched a Jewish man and helped bandage his wounds. Jesus says, yeah, he did for that Jewish man, what that Jewish man would have never done for him. And then he put the man on his own donkey. He brought him to an inn, and he took care of him. And then the story goes on. It gets worse for these Jewish people. Jesus says the next day to which they're going, oh, come on. Like, okay, you expect us to believe the Samaritan man took care of him all night long and then was there the next day to still help. Jesus says, yep, that's my story. I'm telling the story. I get to make it up however I want. This is how the story went. The next day, he took out two denarii, Jesus said, and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. At this point, the religious expert is thinking, oh my goodness, Jesus is just, I mean, he's dooming himself. He's, telling, he's not only making a Samaritan a hero, he's telling us that Samaritan said, I'm going to spend all night caring for you, and the next day I've got to go on to where I'm going, but I'm going to come back and check on you. I'm going to pay for all of your health expenses. Well, you've been gone. This religious expert is thinking, well, I don't know where he's going with this, but this is it. I mean, we finally have trapped him. He's going to lose the entire crowd now because nobody is going to tolerate Jesus making a Samaritan the hero. Story goes on. Jesus asked this question. Which of these three 
do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? And when he asked, this is such a powerful question. When he asked that question, I'm telling you, the entire crowd went silent. The entire crowd went silent. Because the answer is so obvious, but it is so, so uncomfortable to them. And we can replace Samaritan with some other names, and it becomes uncomfortable to some of us. But this was such a powerful moment. Let me tell you what Jesus did. And we still feel the effects of this. And we still, we, our perspectives are still changed today because of this question and what Jesus just did. I'll tell you what he did. Jesus redefined neighbor for everybody in every nation, in every generation. That's what he just did. He just looked at those Jewish people and said, y'all thought your neighbor were your people. You thought your neighbor was just the people like you, the people you got along with, the people that, hey, I kind of need them to be on my side, and I need to be on their side, and we need to take care of each other, or else, you know, we won't be a nation anymore. Like, we have to be here for each other. Jesus says, no, no, no. I want to redefine neighbor. And I'm going to redefine neighbor in such a way that it's going to reverberate throughout history, and no longer, and it doesn't matter what generation, it doesn't matter what nation you grew up in, it doesn't matter, you know, where you come from, no longer can you view your neighbor as just your people. I'm going to take all the limits off of neighbor love. Now, you're to love your neighbor as yourself, and your neighbor is defined not just as the people who are your people. Your neighbor is defined by anybody that you come in contact with, by anyone you lock eyes with, by the people who are so different than you, by the people who are from different nations than you, different ethnicities, different races, by the people who live in such a way and, you know, are in the middle of lifestyles that you so disagree with, by the people that you have a tendency to look down on and say, well, you know, why can't they get their act together? By the people that you think the things that are happening in their life are entirely their fault and they deserve what they're getting. Jesus says, I'm, I'm expanding the circle. Religious expert, this is what you thought I was going to do. This is what you thought I believed. Well, this is what I believe. Your neighbor is no longer just your people. It's all people. Basically, when Jesus asked this question to this religious expert, okay, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who was injured? What he was really asking was this. Which one loved God by loving a stranger? Because the way your heavenly father views it, the way you show your love for him, is by loving your neighbor as yourself. So tell me, religious experts, you're wondering what you had to do to inherit eternal life. Okay, well, let me ask you this. Which one of the three in my story demonstrated their love for God through their love for a stranger? And here this religious expert, remember, he's, he's standing right there. Everyone's sitting around him. He's standing right there looking Jesus right in the eye. And he is stuck. He is hung. And he knows he's been put on the spot. And there's no way out of this. Because the answer, as uncomfortable as it is, and as much as he doesn't want to have to admit it in front of all of these people, the answer is so obvious. And so I think, and Luke doesn't tell us this, but I think, based on what he records, this expert drops his head, loses eye contact with everyone, and he mumbles this under his breath. The one who had mercy on him. 
And I don't know, but I'm guessing Jesus said, I'm sorry, I couldn't hear you. Speak up. Just to, you know, just to kind of, just to kind of make him say it again. Just to kind of seal the deal, you know. And he's like, oh, that's, he's the one who had mercy on him. I mean, he couldn't even bring himself to say Samaritan, could he? It's just, oh, he's the one. I can't, I, I can't acknowledge it. It's just the one. Okay, it's the one. I, I, I can't get around it. But I don't want to say it. The one who loved their neighbor the best was the one who had mercy on him. And then Jesus, with a grin on his face, simply replies, go and do likewise. Go and do likewise. And he said it to all of those Jewish people who had never loved people outside of their nationality before. And his words still reverberate 2,000 years later to you and to me who have a tendency to love our people, to love our people, to love our people but not to feel any responsibility to demonstrate love to anyone outside of our little close-knit, safe circles. Now, the point Jesus made with this story and this powerful question is the very reason why, as a church, we have practiced for several years, and we will continue to practice, demonstrating no-strings-attached generosity to all people in our communities. Because the point Jesus made that we can't escape from is that neighbor love has no limits. It has no limits whatsoever. Neighbor love for us cannot just be to other Christians who believe like we believe. If it is, we don't love God very well. Neighbor love can't just be to people who think like us or vote like us or look like us or, you know, tend to live in the same area as us or, you know, live the same lifestyle as us. If that's all we love, we don't love God very deeply. Neighbor love has zero limits. Neighbor love should be extended by those of us who follow Jesus to the very people who live and act and believe antithetical to what we live, act, and believe. The very opposite of how we think. We should step into those circles. We should step into those relationships. We should step into those rooms. And we should, with every opportunity we have, reach across those divides and demonstrate neighbor love because Jesus told us, and there's no way to escape this, Jesus taught. That neighbor love has no limits whatsoever. No race limits, no nationality limits, no ethnicity limits. There are no limits. No limits based on the choices somebody's made or the choices they're currently making. Neighbor love has no limits. When we see a person, the only question that matters is what does God's love require of us? And then we do it. And we cannot escape that as Jesus followers because Jesus didn't just teach this. He modeled it. He went to a cross and died on a Roman cross and rose again to demonstrate once and for all that his neighbor love for us had no limits. I mean, he moved into the neighborhood and he gave his life. Think about this. Not just for people he knew were going to follow him, but he gave his life for people he knew never would. He offers forgiveness. He offers salvation. He offers an invitation into God's family, not just for people he knew were going to accept it. He offered it for people he knew were going to reject it. His neighbor love had no limits, and ours can't either. So if you ask the question, well, which one loved God by loving a stranger? I'll tell you what I think Jesus would tell us. He would say, the one who saw a need and met it the one who knew the price and paid it, and the one who didn't talk themselves out of it. That's who loved God by loving a stranger. The one who saw a need and met it. The one who knew the price and they paid it anyway. And the one who didn't talk themselves out of doing. 
what was a loving thing to do. So as a church, we try to live by this, and we don't always get it right. But man, we try hard, and when we mess it up, we offer apologies, and we try to make it right. Because at our core, if we're not known for anything else, if we truly love God deeply, we should be known in our community for a neighbor love that we demonstrate that has no limits whatsoever. And it's why we do this offering every single year. We don't just show up and this is the only time of year where we care about our community. We do things in our community all year long and we do them quietly. But I'm telling you, I think there's some extraordinary value in us showing up this time of year and collectively doing something and doing it as loudly as we can possibly do it because our community needs to see and know and feel and hear that our love for them has no limits whatsoever. And so every year we show up around this time and we give and we give really big and we don't care if the organizations we're supporting are Christian or not. As a matter of fact, most of them are not. We don't care if the people we're helping are people that believe like we believe or not or live in a, with a lifestyle that we think is right or not. None of that matters to us. We just want to show up and do what we have been called to do, which is demonstrate a love your neighbor as yourself kind of love, the same kind of love that Jesus demonstrated to us. Because I'm telling you, that kind of no-strings-attached generosity sends as powerful a message in our culture today as anything, as anything, that not only are we for them, but that God is for them. And that's a message that is much needed in our current climate. So, again this year, we're going to give and we're going to give big. And our goal this year, my, I've told you this, if you've been around here the last couple of weeks, my goal for us this year is really simple. I don't know how much money we're going to give. You guys always show up. You give really big. I'm not worried about that. My goal this year is simply this, 100% participation. I would just love for all of us to be involved, all of us to be engaged, and to give big, whatever give big looks like for you. Like, it doesn't matter. For some of you, $10 looks big. For some of you, it's 10000 For some of you, it's 5 bucks. For some of you, it's 20 bucks, 50 bucks. For some of you, it's 1000 or 5000 I don't care what give big looks like for you. I just want us all to participate. My wife and I last night... We made our gift. I just want everybody to do that and to be a part of it. If you're new here, if it's your first time, this is the only time of the year you'll hear me say this, but by golly, I want you to be a part of this. Even if you're not a Christian, I want you to be a part of this because you can all get behind this one deal, okay? We're going to take all of this money. We're going to give every single dime away, and then in a few weeks, you're going to come back, and we're going to show you a video, a highlight video of us giving the money away. That's always such a fun, fun Sunday. So we'll let you see where the money goes. We're going to tell you where it goes, but I want to give you a quick overview of how your money, again this year, is going to make a difference. We have narrowed it down to four needs, four causes that we're passionate about as a church, that we feel like, you know what, with our limited resources, we can come alongside the organizations and the individuals who are impacting these causes, and we can make a difference. So here they are, and I'll explain them to you. They're the hungry, the helpless, the hopeless, and the homeless. These four causes. We're going to come alongside some organizations that feed the hungry. Nobody in our community ought to go hungry. So we come along these alongside these organizations every year that serve families. One of them serves about 1,200 families every single month. We're going to come alongside these organizations, and we're going to resource them with the, with the money that they need to be able to go further faster, to be able to do more, to be able to make a bigger difference, to be, to be able to provide food for adults and for kids in our community who go hungry and who need it. That's a big, big deal. And we're, we're so excited to be able to help with that. 
We're going to come alongside organizations who serve the helpless. Now, here's what I mean by that. We come alongside organizations in our communities who help kids who are victims of sexual abuse, victims of uh, physical abuse, victims of emotional abuse, kids who are, are in situations where it's not their fault. They couldn't, do, they couldn't help it, but they're in a helpless, helpless situation. And these organizations come alongside them at their lowest moments, and they try to help serve those kids and navigate them through those transitions. They try to help put them in safe environments and help you know, uh, bring some recovery to their families. So we love getting to come alongside organizations like that and help them. That's one of the things your money's going to make a difference doing. And then the hopeless. We're going to come alongside some organizations who are helping those who are struggling with addiction. And if you've ever had a family member or a friend who had to deal with that, you know when someone is in the grip of an addiction how hopeless it feels to them and often how hopeless it feels to their family and friends. But there are some organizations in our community who are doing an extraordinary job and coming alongside and helping people who are in the middle of addiction find freedom and helping them get back on their feet, helping them learn the skills that they need to be able to, to break free and to build a better life for themselves. And we're going to be able, hopefully, to write them some big checks and to help them as they move forward with that. And then finally, the homeless, the homeless. Because there are people not just in, in our community, but there are people nationally and internationally who find themselves in situations where they don't even have a safe place to live. So we come alongside organizations, we'll do it again this year, who help meet this need. There are a lot of people in our church who volunteer with Eight Days of Hope. It's a national organization. Whenever there's a natural disaster and people lose their homes, and these, you know, these thousands of volunteers show up in these communities with Eight Days of Hope. And it's one of the organizations that we partner with to try to come alongside them and help them as they help people rebuild from a natural disaster. We do some stuff internationally with this. So those are the four causes, okay? Those are the four causes. And, and again, my goal is simply 100% participation. I just want all of us to be able to give whatever is big for us and then see what God does with it as we write some checks and we give every single dime of this away. So let me explain to you real quickly how you can participate and what's going to happen as we wrap up today. This is the fun part. There are three ways you can participate. You can, in just a few minutes, if you've got cash or check on you and you want to give, you can give cash or check now. In a second, when I'm finished, the band's going to come out. Guest services team's going to come. We're going to receive the offering. They'll pass the buckets again, so you can just drop it right there. If you've got cash or check with you, that's an easy way. If you've got one of those four Callaway envelopes, you can put it in there. If not, it's okay. You can just drop, drop it in the bucket. The second way you can give, if you don't have cash or check on you, is you can just go to our app on your phone. You can give right through the app. There's a, when you click on give, you'll see four Callaway fund. You can just click that. You can give right here on the spot. You can do it in 30 seconds or less. Or uh, you can go to givejourney.com if you don't have our app. You can just go to givejourney.com. You can give. And for the handful of you who do not have cash check and you still own a flip phone, get with 2017. But if you, don't, if you can't use one of these first two ways, when the service is over, okay, you can take a debit card or a credit card if you'd rather do it this way. And there's a table right up there in Upper Concourse A, and you can stop over there. You can use your debit or credit card. You can go ahead and give right there. Normally, I'm not for using the credit card. I know, I know, points and cash back. That's fine. Use it and then give the cash back back too, okay? We're trying to be generous here. So, so you just go ahead and do that. If you're like, you know, it's, I don't have the money now. Well, if you're going to do stupid debt on your card, at least do some good debt too. That's the only time you'll ever hear me say that. So 
I just want you all to participate, okay? And let me, I'm going to let, for just a second, you guys can all relax because I want to talk. We have a lot of people who watch online every week, so I want to talk to you for a second because I'm really glad you watch and get to watch for free every single Sunday except this week, all right? So if you're watching online, um, you can, right there, there's a give button right there on your screen, or you can do this right here. You can do it through the app. You can do it through givejourney.com. Um, I'll tell you what, if you're, give, if you're watching online, the easiest thing to do to figure out what to give is just however much the phone you're watching on, the TV you're watching on, the laptop you're watching on, however much that costs you, that's how much you ought to give. So then all the people here are laughing. Yeah. Uh, however much that car costs that you drove here, that, no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. So, so anyway, no, but we want everybody to give. So if you're watching online, please participate. Just this one day. It's not benefiting us at all. We'd love to give back to our community, okay? Now, let me, let me say this, and I'll wrap up. Again, this point Jesus made is so huge that neighbor love has no limits. Let me just stop and think about this for a second. What message, what message does our community, do our communities... Does our area, what message does our country need to hear anymore right now? What do they need to see anymore right now? Then a group of Jesus followers demonstrating no strings attached generosity and letting everyone around them know that we're for them, that God is for them, and that our neighbor love has no limits. What message could make a bigger impact right now than this one? We can't change the whole world. This isn't going to show up on national news. But I'll tell you what. We can send a message in our communities right here. We can make a difference in the lives of thousands of people right here. And we can do it with some extraordinary, no-strings-attached generosity right now. So you always do an extraordinary job. I just want to say thank you on the front end. I'll thank you in advance for demonstrating the kind of generosity that not only changes lives, but the kind of generosity that sends a compelling message to our community. And they notice, they notice every year that we're for them, that God is for them. And that no matter what experiences they've had with other Christians or other churches, our neighbor love, it's got no limits. We care about them because God cares about them. Thank you for sending that message with your generosity today. Let me pray for us, and then guest services, and the band's going to come out, and we're going to sing one final song. Would you guys stand with me as I pray? Father, thank you. Thank you for your extraordinary generosity towards us. Thank you that Jesus showed up and change the way we view loving our neighbor forever. Thank you that 2,000 years later, as a country, we, we think of love and we think of generosity in this way. I mean, we, we practice this, and some of us don't even realize it came from Jesus or it was taught by Jesus. So thank you so much for that. Thank you for um, giving us the ability to be able to give back. We're so grateful for that. And so as we take these next few minutes to sing, we want to take a moment to express to you our extraordinary gratitude for all you have done for us. And we want to express our gratitude, God, for giving us as a church the opportunity to give back and to make a difference in our communities.
but we also in this moment want to demonstrate our neighbor love in a way that cannot be argued. We know people don't agree with all of our beliefs, and that's okay, but there should never be a moment when someone in our communities can argue about our love. So thanks for this opportunity again to demonstrate it. In Jesus' name, amen.